0: Welcome to the Mojo Maker for Women in Tech podcast, where you will learn career strategies and techniques to help you break down barriers, make more money, and thrive in your tech life at work and at home. Technology has never been more mission critical to our online stay-at-home world, and you are the key to its success. You'll hear from diverse women in tech as well as experts who share both personal and professional strategies so you can transform your work and your workplace from the inside out. I'm Karen Morstell, former Silicon Valley tech leader and serial CISO for iconic brands like AT&T Wireless, Microsoft, and Russell Investments. I hope you will join me in my mission and message of resilience and transformation to make an inclusive and equitable tech industry. If you find this show helpful, please leave us a like and share it. And don't forget to hurry over to createyourleadingedge.com to join innovative and affordable group coaching for women in tech on your terms. And now, on to Mojo Maker for Women in Tech. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Mojo Maker for Women in Tech podcast. I am thrilled to have one of my favorite guests with me on the show today, Dr. Manuel Ostruck, who is a psychiatrist, a practicing psychiatrist, who's also a coach, and his philosophy and his background all are focused on helping all of us live the most impactful life that we can. A lot of it getting out of our own way, understanding the impact of things that we do that cause us to have our own barriers in having the kind of life that we want. And I wanted him on the show this week because... There is so much happening in our lives right now, as we are still in the middle of this swirl around COVID-19. So I'm excited for this conversation. We're going to riff on a lot of topics relating to stress and burnout, whether you're an executive or whether this is impacting you as an individual I want you to listen carefully because we've talked before, Manuel, and I've talked before, and there are so many nuggets in here. So get out a notepad. If you're a note taker, there's going to be some good stuff coming. So I just want to say, Dr. Astruk, welcome to the show.
1: Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure. And what a great introduction. I remember when we have talked before just how interesting it is to talk to people who are interested, not just from like going to see a psychiatrist, but people who are really interested in their own personal growth, development, and healing. And this is the point where I will take off my psychiatrist hat and I put on my coaching hat because as a psychiatrist, we have sets of Standard practices where we don't reveal much about ourselves, and as a coach, I think it's incredibly helpful to talk more about my own personal journey, what I've been through, what I've learned, and at the same time, be able to talk about my what I know as a psychiatrist, helping people for over fifty thousand hours over the last twenty years, go from where they are to where they want to be and getting better.
0: You know, that background of yours, I think we need to dive into that just a little bit because you have a backstory that you've shared with me before that I think people are going to find so helpful and interesting. Could you just share a little bit about that path, about your path to psychiatry and then into coaching and where your own revelatory moments were along that way? Absolutely. Absolutely. So I've been a psychiatrist now
1: for well over 20 years, and I have been in private practice working by myself and had built a very successful outpatient private practice where I was working close to 12 hours every single day and every other Saturday. And by all measures, my practice and my life were going really pretty well. But on the inside, I had gotten very miserable. I'd actually gotten burnt out. And when you're burnt out, you're emotionally and physically exhausted. You get sort of snarky and sarcastic and cynical about life, and you just don't feel effective. And one day leads to another day, to another day, and there's really no way out that I could see for myself. And as I was going through this... My twin sister Magdalena had been diagnosed with a brain tumor and after three years had passed away in August of 2008, in the next month I had hit a bottom. I was sitting in a dark room and I was looking at a picture of my sister and in this picture she's glowing, She's, she's literally beaming and you can't tell that she's wearing a wig and that she's going through chemotherapy. And I was just struck by how she had handled such a difficult diagnosis and journey with grace and with humor and with courage. And there I was a month after she passed away and I was just absolutely miserable. And I had a moment where I literally drew a line in the sand and I said to myself, something's got to change here. And I made a commitment that based on what I had seen my sister go through, that going forward, I was going to enjoy the ride as best as I possibly could going forward. And I was going to be happy no matter what.
0: And so now you focus in the area of helping professionals. I mean, aside from your psychiatry practice, you're doing this coaching program where you're working with executives in all industries and i'm coming from the tech industry where i have you know a lot of experience with burnout where 57% or more of the population of people in that industry self identify as burned out so i'm hoping they're really tuned in and listening today because you talked about this move from being a psychiatrist to coach to help people with that and so i want to zero in a little bit on what's happening right now around all of us, because the 57% number, that was before COVID-19. And now we are dealing with a whole host of uncertainty, which is really rocking people's world. We have people exhausted because I think in the tech industry, they're working harder, not less. And they've moved home to do the work from home life, where now they've Not only got their job to do and a certain amount of pressure that is having to prove that they're really working now that people aren't around them anymore, and that they're also homeschooling children, they're doing the whole work from home life. So, what I wanted us to kind of dive into this time is some of the strategies that let's talk about the individual right now for the person who's listening out there who is like, just had it with this COVID-19 life and not seeing really in, any end. How do we get some coping strategies to deal with that and to kind of lift our head up and have hope and faith that we're seeing a light at the end of the tunnel and it's not a train?
1: That's a great word, hope. And when I was um, a resident, so you, as a doctor. You go through med school and you get your MD and then you do your specialty training. So I trained in the specialty of psychiatry, which was an additional four years afterwards. And in my residency training, we had therapy trainings where we would work with a senior therapist and psychiatrist who would help us to understand and learn about therapy. And I remember in the first year when we were going through these clinics and then reporting back to our supervisors about the patients and the experiences we were having, that most of my peers and I were evaluating patients and going back and saying, I don't really know that much about psychiatry. I'm just like a first year resident. But it seems like the patients like really lighten up in the context of just kind of talking to them for an hour. Like, what's going on? (laughs) We didn't do anything. And the senior psychiatrist who was training us, he says, you cannot underestimate the power of hope. You know, the fact that you're listening and that they're there and you seem to be understanding them, that piece of hope is so powerful in helping people to affect change and to move forward through difficulties. So that's a great word that I always took away for myself. One can do that.
0: You said something there that resonated with me so much because we kind of operate under this hashtag like our principles if are rolled up into one thing which we say be an ally. And what you just said there about hope just really landed because that's one thing we can do for each other, right? We can always be there to understand what the other person is going through, listen to what they're going through. I think we're hearing a lot of that in the last two weeks, especially since we've had all of this, uh, I guess, uh, awareness raising about how difficult life is for people of color in our world. If we want to get through this thing together and to come out on the other side stronger, How we treat one another in a way that gives hope seems to be like a core strategy. It clearly
1: is. And when I was first recovering from burnout, it was very much by myself. I didn't feel comfortable. And I didn't really know what I was going through exactly at that point. Even though I'm the one that's supposed to be helping others, I was a little clueless. But I made some changes in my life just because I had to do something different. And and there were a couple of things that I did very, very rapidly after I made the commitment to enjoy things. So one thing is I started to Move more. And I'd had exercise practices that I tried to implement and was never really very successful in being consistent with. But I started just five minutes a day of exercise, like just like literally five minutes. And my goal was just to do something that was repeatable and that I was not going to fall off the wagon with. And ultimately that grew into a, you know, more significant exercise practice. I started to eat better. But one of the very early things that I did was to turn off the news. Even things like sports radio, I love sports and I love human excellence and and what humans are capable of doing on the sports fields and the stories. But sports radio driving into work had turned from the discussion of human excellence to just drama stories that were negative. And we don't really give enough credit for how the environment that we put our brains into can negatively impact us. So even things like listening to the news a little bit can prime our brains to make things harder and more negative and more depressing and more anxiety-laden, just a little bit of climbing in that direction is depleting. So just turning away from that, and we need to have some information, but really doing that incredibly judiciously because the goal of media, unfortunately, is not necessarily to inform. It's really to hook you into stories that they can tell you and monetize in their own ways. Uh, True.
0: That's so true. It's shocking. I don't want to get into too much about how how the news and the media work. But yeah, I'm with you on that. I want to go back to, you said something in there, I think I want to pull out and highlight. Because when you said you started to move more, you wanted to do something that you weren't going to fall off the wagon right away. You just wanted to do something you could do consistently. And one of the things I love about that, because In highly driven people, when we say, I'm going to move more, the first thing I hear somebody or in my own head might even do is say, yes, I'm going to train for a triathlon. (laughs) Instead of saying, I'm going to move more than I did yesterday. Yeah. Do you see what I'm saying? Yep.
1: Yep. totally, Totally.
0: Something totally doable. We have to remember that we are driven people. We are high achievers. We are people that like to make things happen, but we can also be kind to ourselves. We can give our, our own, our body and our psyche and our, what do you call it? The vagus nerve, (laughs) a break and say, we're going to go out there and I'm only going to compete with what I did yesterday, not with the person next to me, not with what I'm reading about, like the bazillion people on social media who are doing amazing exercise these days, right?
1: Absolutely. And it's really looking at long-term
0: sustainability
1: of whatever practice you're starting. I know in the past when I had tried to implement more regular exercise, when I started off with an hour a day or an hour, three times a week or running, it was too far stretched from where I was. So it was too easy to to fall off the wagon with that but i said i can do something very simple so it's easily accessible and easy to do and then once the habit starts to be built it's like one of those lead lines that you can you know throw across then you can like drag heavier threads across that help you to to build that up but it starts off with something that's easy and accessible and repeatable
0: yeah, it starts to build its own reward, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: We both talk about burnout a lot with groups and audiences. And you're familiar with some of the work by people like Hal Elrod and others yeah, that talk about their miracle morning. That was really what inspired my thinking and my own action that I had to take to kind of pull myself out of a slump. I think these are probably based probably in some pretty sound Medicine as well as good coaching. But the thing that I like to kind of focus on daily is to find beauty, make sure I breathe. (laughs) Really important. Move, like you said, right? Do movement, movement that does that also makes you breathe more. That would be terrific. And then I'm going to take a little bit of a risk here and say, I think it's really important for us somehow in our physiology and in our in our sense of hope, to connect to something bigger than us. How does that resonate with you? For me personally,
1: very much so. So one of the things that I started over three years ago was uh, Facebook Live. It's Manuel Astro Coaching on Facebook. And I had been learning a lot about marketing and businesses because as a psychiatrist, I didn't have to know that much about business or marketing. I just had to like show up somewhere and hang a shingle and and patience came. It was like easy. But when I started to think about coaching or doing different things, I had more that I had to take on and to learn. And I really wanted to use the knowledge that I have in a way that could be helpful to people. But I was just tremendously scared to actually go out there and do anything different. And I thought that the first thing that I would do that would be easy, would be just to talk for three or five minutes in the morning. And even that took me a while to, to get the courage to do. And I actually started to practice on my birthday, my twin sister Magdalena's birthday three years ago, where I went live on Facebook. Nobody was watching. I was still so nervous. I had to put the phone down three times before I finally went ahead and did it. But the point is that on my Facebook morning musings, every Day, I start with a gratitude practice. You know, today I am grateful Mm. for. And that gratitude really implements forcing your brain to look and to be primed for during the course of the day, looking for beauty, looking for things that are awe inspiring, keeping a connection to something bigger than ourselves. And there's so much evidence that those sorts of things are key to not just preventing burnout and helping burnout, but for happiness.
0: I love that so much. I mean, we already know, you and I already know each other, so we're like we know we're aligned on a lot of these things. You just reminded me, though, of Abraham Joshua Heschel, who I'm a huge fan of. And one of the things he he says we need to do, we need to remember that we are made to live in radical amazement. That's that whole thing about wow, like really the gratitude. But there is so much for us to to have gratitude about. I think if I could practice so that I lived every day in radical amazement, life would take on a whole different set of colors, I think.
1: And the interesting thing to that, it's, it's really our brains can be daunted by how Amazing that sounds. like that sounds like amazing, and like it's a lot of work. Now, for a five-year-old or a four-year-old, that's how they live. They live yeah. their entire totally. lives in radical amazement. And when I talk to people about you know starting a gratitude practice, they scratch their heads, and it's oftentimes hard for them to come up with things, because our brain is searching for something that's amazing and that stands out. And the practice is really more about noticing the things that are already there and having a different story around them. So yesterday, I had the first haircut that I've had in like three months, and I was so amazingly grateful for that. And thinking back, I could have been grateful for every single haircut I've ever had. Like, isn't it nice that you can just call up, make an appointment, or show up somewhere and someone cut your hair? But Radical amazement, radical gratitude. It's really about not looking for something extraordinary, but finding that extraordinary in the ordinary that we have every day.
0: That is such a great point. And to observe the children, right? Like the children are going to lead us through this maybe. I just had the good fortune to spend the last 24 hours with my five-year-old grandson. And you're absolutely right. Bubble tea is full of radical amazement <laughs> to a five-year-old. it's Everything is amazing. And he wanted to find a gift. He wanted to find the best gift for his mother. And one of the things that I always have done is I plant my yard with lots of flowers and perennials and things that can be cut into bouquets. So he comes over here to cut a bouquet for his mom. But what does he do he goes out and he picks a single daylily, one single, plain, ordinary daylily. And to him, it is exquisitely beautiful. That, you know what? We need to get that back.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's available to us and it's free of charge. And it's just a mindset that we can work on getting better and better at.
0: Wow. This is cool. We could talk forever on this. And I want to do a slight pivot because in the context of all of this, I know we have people who are individually dealing with the burnout, which we've talked about. There are also people who are listening to the show who lead organizations, whole organizations, or they have a family or both, and they are needing to play a part in helping them also come through this and Harvard Business Review just came out with a an edition, my I got mine today, and I read it over lunchtime and it talks about helping your team heal. I could see that being helping your team heal, helping your family heal, helping your organization heal. And the challenge that's in front of leadership right now to step out of their by the book, by the policy information-heavy way of communicating with people and starting to step into empathy. Can you talk a little bit about how that would work for someone who's maybe used to being sympathetic but not really necessarily stepping into empathy and what they might do to help trigger that or up-level that empathy a little bit?
1: The um, challenges that we're going through today are unique for us and as individuals, the feedback that I'm getting from patients of mine who are staying at home, they fall into these different camps. So there's individuals who are telling me that their superiors, their bosses, administration, are communicating regularly, but the tone of the communications tend to be, you know, very much like they were beforehand. They're sort of transactional and they're, they're driven by the metrics that they're following or doing. And they're very much similar to what they've been like in the past. And there's another set that talk a lot more about these much more personal interactions that they're getting in their emails. So things like their superiors acknowledging the difficulties that they're having in their lives and the fact that they reveal. So like when I turn into a coach and I reveal things to people that in the past would never know that you know, Dr. Astrock had burnout. Dr. Astroch has had struggles. Dr. he you know, started a project and you know, it failed and it didn't do that well. And he like procrastinated on the, the fact that you reveal yourself, the people that you're leading is, I think, part of the first steps there. And then acknowledging and validating the brutal reality of where we are and also being able to compensate for that right so the demands are different in terms of what you're expecting when your employees are at home and like you said not only are they busier than ever but they're also taking care of you know homeschooling or they're having to get groceries and drive them over to their parents' house or their in-laws' houses, but there's complexities that have been added. And an understanding of that and and acknowledging and validating of that, I think, is important.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think there is that challenge we have of stepping into their space and trying to understand their experience as they are experiencing it, not as we are projecting what we experience onto them. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's always that's always tough. it's I think this is one of the biggest things that can come out of this time if we will let it, is that we can definitely expand our empathy capacity for one another. And as you mentioned earlier in the podcast, how important hope is and how important it is for people to be heard in in times that where we're all struggling, right and our ability to listen and to understand the other person the other person's experience just seems like something that we can all develop <laughs> that's our opportunity right yeah yeah and and it's really about for me remembering the
1: individuals that we're talking to so it's, it's not a group it's not employees it's individuals so when i was a resident we would take call and frequently, we would be up all night. It was a big hospital in Richmond, Virginia. And as a first and second year resident, you were, quote unquote, first call, which means that you were the first person that was called by the emergency room with anyone who was having a psychiatric difficulty. So people who would come in with depression or intoxicated or having psychotic symptoms or after a suicide attempt. And you would frequently be up all night. With these challenging individuals and when you were tired yourself and oftentimes you had work left over from the day that you hadn't gotten to. So at three or four in the morning, when I would be trying to evaluate someone who had tried to commit suicide and they were in a bad mood. It was very hard to engage my sympathy, my empathy for them because I was tired and I had work to do and someone was giving me attitude that I didn't need right then and there. And what I found was always so helpful was like, I started with, tell me about your childhood. If I could get myself to see an individual as an individual instead of the person who was giving me a hard time and and not giving me the information that I needed so that I could make an evaluation and figure out what was going on and what we were going to do. But if I started with a connection of this is an individual human who's had a childhood and they've had traumas and difficulties and so on and so forth, then I was much more capable of engaging even – if the person's attitude was not the best. So when we look out at the folks that we're serving, the people that we're leading, you know, that's part of the task, I think, is is to remember the individual at home with a sick child or, or children that are cranky and not doing, you know, what they're supposed to do with their schoolwork, uh, as they're trying to finish up projects that the rest of the team is waiting on.
0: Yeah. I've never shared this on a show before, but when I was the palliative care fellow at the VA for chaplaincy, my favorite place to hang out (laughs) when I was on call doing the all night shift was in the smoking room. I don't smoke, but that's where people were completely in their own element. Like going, it was in the basement of the VA under the parking lot with no windows like it was the, it was the darkest <laughs> spot we could be. And the guys would go down there and hang out at night and just be with each other. And to be down there as the chaplain then is when I felt like I was invited into their space and I could listen to them in a place where they were comfortable, right? I wasn't listening to somebody who was I was triaging or anything like that. It was somebody who was really in the room, the place they chose to be. And I learned so much from that just listening and seeing the difference between how forthcoming people would be with the way life was really unfolding for them when they would be in that level of comfort talking to one another. So this whole idea of creating some safe space even if it's just for a little while, for one other person to be able to call it the the underground smoking room, but step into this space and that's where we can get real with each other and give hope to each other. We've got a lot of that ahead of us, I think.
1: There's another H word within what you're talking about there, when you're invited into their sacred space, even though yeah. it doesn't look like a sacred, that's their sacred space, and they open up around you. You know, as leaders, it's important to remember what an honor it really is to lead. So the yeah. first day of med school, we had this old dean of the medical school who gave us, you know, his the introduction to medical school that he's probably given 30 times, And one of the things that he said was that never forget what an honor it is to be a physician, that you're going to ask people to take their clothes off and you're going to put your fingers in places that nobody is allowed to put their fingers in and that it is an honor when people allow you to be their doctor. So in the same way, I think it's important for us to remember what an honor it is to be in a position to lead others, and that trust that is given to us, it's an honor. And it helps us to remember those individuals that have empowered and given us that position so that we can lead.
0: Man, I have tears in my eyes right now. (laughs) Get my composure back together here. You are saying something so incredibly impactful. And I think for us, the kinds of things that we've talked about in this last half an hour, how to listen, give hope, move your body, do just a little more than you did yesterday. Practice radical amazement, like a child's mind, I think is another way to say that. Honor, recognize the honor that it is to lead or to be invited into that sacred space for another person and to practice gratitude. Wow. Oh, wow. That is a power packed set of practices for a time such as this. And I just really, uh, I want us to do this again. I hope we can get back and have another conversation in a little bit and kind of do a, kind of a, I guess, a revisit about the way things are going and how we're seeing things go. And for those of you who are listening, please give us your feedback. If you'd like to hear some more of this, I think we'd love to get together and riff about it again. Am I right?
1: This is for me, what has become a very central part of what I want to do. So when I was recovering from burnout, I had a vision of not just working one-on-one with patients that were coming to see me, but that somehow I wanted to have a a bigger impact with what I've learned and what I've gone through. And these are the conversations that you and I have that other people are able to listen to. And then those other people might share it with other people. And that was a dream that I had 12 years ago when I drew the line in the sand and said, no matter what, I'm going to enjoy the ride.
0: Well, I have to say, Manuel, it is my honor to be able to talk with you like this. I look forward to us getting to do it again. Before we wrap things up for this show, I want you to let people know how they can get a hold of you if they want to find out more information about coaching.
1: Yeah, so there's two avenues right now on Facebook, Manuel Astro Coaching, so that's M A N U E L A S T R U C. Monday through Friday, I do a three to five minute little talk that's centered on happiness, leadership, success, mental fitness and well-being, and gratitude. That I try to put out into the world every morning, and my website manualastro.com. Again, M A N U E L. A-S-T-R-U-C has all of my contact information on there easily available.
0: Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for the time today. My day just got magnificent. (laughs) So thank you. And um, thank you for being on the show. Let's do this again soon. Anytime. That's it for today. Thanks for joining us. We're on a mission to help you make your tech life the best it can be. And a big part of that is helping you handle adversity like a boss. You can get more right now with our free gift for you over at BeAnAlly.today to download Flame Proof, your anti-burnout guidebook. If you love our podcast, don't forget to subscribe and let others know. You can also get more insights from our weekly podcast digest on topics that are relevant to you, your allies, and your entire organization. So remember, you have the ability to create the tech life you love and to make a difference for our industry. See you next week. And in the meantime, be well and be an ally.